Hello, dear listeners. Want to join me for a meaningful book club to kick off 2022? Because I am hosting a Feminist Foundations book club starting in January and going each month for four consecutive months. And the book club is called Feminist Foundations, which I just said, but we will be reading Moments of Being by Virginia Woolf, published in 1972, but with work written from 1907 to 1936. Also, I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings, written by Maya Angelou and published in 1969. Fear of Flying by Erica Jong, published in 1973. And The Woman Warrior by Maxine Hong Kingston, published in 1976. The purpose of this book club is to read and learn about some of the foundational books that have inspired the best known and most prolific writers of our time. And we'll be meeting on Zoom once a month in January, February, March, and April. You can find out more about this class or book club rather, but it's also going to be learning and education. It's at magicofmemoir.com. The cost is just $125, but you also have to buy the books because you'll definitely want to read them in order to maximize the experience. Thanks so much and hope to be with some of you for Feminist Foundations in the new year. Hello, flyers, soarers, and pilots of your own adventures. Welcome to Write Minded, where every week Grant Faulkner and I have the privilege of unpacking writing themes and connecting with authors of all kinds of genres in an effort to keep you all thinking about your own writing and its potential to move and inspire. And today, Grant, we get to speak with literary legend Erica Jong, who burst onto the scene in 1973 with her novel Fear of Flying. And I love talking to these kinds of authors on this show. You know, there's something extra special about talking to writers whose works have impacted millions of readers uh, and writers like Erica, who are truly voices of their generation. So this week's episode is exciting and a true honor. No kidding, Brooke. Erica Jong is a legend in my mind. Uh, and for younger listeners, it's hard to relate the clamor and the titillation and the scandal and the liberation of Fear of Flying when it came out. I was just a kid. And I remember it as something that was forbidden and ridiculed and secretly sought out and embraced. Uh, I don't know what to compare it to today or if there is even a comparison. This was an era where men didn't have a fear of flying. You know, authors like Norman Mailer and Philip Roth were fearlessly indulging in sexual scenes on the page. And in fact, coming out of the 60s with birth control available and then the 70s just being the 70s, I think of it being an era where sex was, you know, truly liberated on the page and explored in ways it's not now. I remember reading John Updike later when I was in high school and being intrigued and riveted, not only by the way he described sex, but by the role it played in his characters' lives. You know, it was the thing on their mind. And I think authors then were seeking something from sex that authors aren't necessarily seeking today. Yeah, it was an interesting question. You know, obviously it was more taboo then than it is now, but we're going to get into this with Erica because I know that there are lots of women writing about desire and sex. You know, we still feel the pressure, um, but certainly coming off of the uh, 1960s, there was the sexual revolution and the desire to explore sex and sexuality in greater depths in literature. Uh, you know, I was born in 76, so I certainly missed the cultural explosion that was Fear of Flying. But by the time I was in my 20s, I knew who Erica Jong was. Uh, and I must have been in my late 20s the first time I heard the expression, the zipless fuck, <laughs> and mm. understood that this was a term that she'd coined and that the book influenced an entire generation. 
And so for me, you know, I was thinking about books from the 70s that most informed my young understanding of sex and desire. Um, and the principal one was Judy Bloom's Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret, which was published in 1970. And it was actually a fun exercise to look at all the books published in the early 70s, you know, either that I later read, you know, or that became movies that I watched, things like Breakfast of Champions, The Exorcist, Jaws, Deliverance, Sula, published by Tony Morrison in 1973, one of my favorite books. Uh, you know, so I was just thinking about these early portals into just understanding our world. And certainly with Erica Jong and Toni Morrison, you know, these were both like feminist portals for me. And Sula in particular, I read in college. And so that was like around 1996. And I was really excited to see that it was published in the same year as Fear of Flying, just because of the connections that you start to make from a distance. And I read in one article about um, Erica, how Fear of Flying was as much as anything about understanding womanhood in the 70s, another question that I'm going to ask her about today. And the writer concluded, women were launching. And the culture was just so ripe for launching, uh, you know, following the cultural revolution of the 60s, as I said, but also facing Vietnam, Nixon. And I do actually see a lot of parallels to today. And maybe not so much in the need to write about sex as you were articulating, Grant, but about the urgency that certain authors have as they emerge from these other important cultural movements that we're experiencing right now. And we're certainly witnessing this, like with writers of color coming out of the Black Lives Matter movement. And I was just thinking about, you know, this incredible renaissance in literature in the 70s that I really didn't fully appreciate until I started to get curious in this last week about the culture that sprung Erica Jong onto the literary scene. Yeah, even though I was alive in the 70s, I was a kid, so it's hard to remember how backwards it was for women then. And just for perspective, it wasn't until the 70s that women won a legal right to apply for credit cards separate from their husbands. Uh, women couldn't take legal action against workplace sexual harassment until 1977. And spousal rape wasn't criminalized in all 50 states until 1993, if you can believe that. So there were a lot of shackles to shed, a lot of liberation to find and experience. And, and like you, Brooke, I'm more curious now looking back to understand a phenomenon like Erica Jong and then to place her in literary history because she obviously opened the door to a lot of women authors to the point that, you know, fear of flying isn't really shocking today. Yeah, that's such a good point. And Fear of Flying was so named because Erica's protagonist, Isadora, whose full name is Isadora Zelda White Stollerman Wing, mm. <laughs> it is afraid of flying. Uh, and the novel opens on a plane. But of course, uh, Fear of Flying has multiple meanings. And flying, as you alluded to, Grant, is really about desire, about sex, and particularly about no strings attached sex. And desire is such a huge topic and theme, and it runs through all kinds of writing. Um, and it does feel dangerous. I mean, it can be dangerous. And it's also something that we want to be seen for. Um, you know, this idea that I was thinking about, like, the more you're held back and the more you're held down, the more intense those desires 
to be seen or heard can become. And so, you know, I was just thinking about this urge, you know, this place from which people write about desire. Um, and, and I just think Erica has some, you know, of course, some profound things to say on this topic, given that she's lived so long thinking about these themes. Um, and I was thinking about Disha Filia, who we interviewed a while back, because her primary theme in The Secret Lives of Church Ladies is her title, is Black women's desire. Uh, and generally, I think it's not an easy topic to broach in fiction or in memoir. Um, and I know that you wrote also a lot about desire in your most recent collection, Grant, All the Comfort Sin Can Provide. And so I wondered if you might say a word about why desire is so compelling as a topic, uh, and maybe what your thoughts are about literary fantasy and what, if anything, you can say about how it's changed over these decades. Yeah, I think desire is compelling as a topic because it's so naturally dramatic. You know, it's a powerful, overwhelming feeling, and yet it so often has to be hidden, uh, which adds layers of complexity and intrigue. Uh, there are so many questions with desire as well, you know, like, will the desire be fulfilled? And if so, is it actually fulfilling? Does the desire lead to destruction? You know, the destruction of stature or marriage or friendship or even the destruction of self? Or does the desire lead to salvation? I think those were questions Erica was grappling with in the 70s and, and that we still grapple with now. And one reason we turn to novels to read about desire is that I don't think people find places to openly express and explore it uh, even now, and especially in other forms of, of reading. It's, it's often just such an interior and private conversation, you might say. So it's a conversation you might tend to have with a novel. Um, that said, you know, when I think about how writing about desire has changed. Um, I'd love to study this and I don't have a lot of deep thoughts to offer, but I think in the seventies when people were still breaking free of the Puritan shackles of the fifties, you know, that people looked to sex as a type of quest that could deliver a fulfillment of self in a way that now the expectations, I just think they're, they're, they're different. And I, I remember this one essay I read by Katie Royf uh, several years ago, and she had this theory that we've culturally internalized a feminist critique so that authors from the past, like Philip Roth and Norman Mailer, who wrote a lot about sex, now they tend to be seen as more repugnant than arousing. And those are her words. And, and she has mixed feelings about that. She said of contemporary male writers in particular, uh, she said the current sexual style is more childlike. Innocence is more fashionable than virility. Uh, the cuddle preferable of sex, gone the familiar swagger, the straightforward artistic reveling in the sexual act itself. And she says passivity, a paralyzed sweetness, a deep ambivalence about sexual appetite are somehow taken as signs of a complex and admirable inner life. So I don't know if that's exactly true, but it's interesting to analyze an era's sexual sensibility through the stories that come out of that era. And to counter that, you know, today I think of TV shows like like Girls or uh, Raven Leilani's novel Lust, which I thought was really great. They both, you know, have a sexual swagger that wouldn't exist without Fear of Flying. So it's interesting how they reveal how desire often doesn't lead to the fulfillment it promises. Hmm. Yeah. And I guess what I find interesting is the ways in which literature continues to push the envelope on the subject of desire. You know, you can see something like Fear of Flying that came onto the scene with, as you said, so much titillation, so much scandal. Uh, and then, you know, earlier this year, we had Gina Frangello on the show in one of my Women Lit interviews. And while her book was very well received, it also got a ton of blowback because she dared to write about her desires. So even though we're in a way more open culture than we were in the 70s, and things are 
better, you know, desires are allowed to be articulated on the page, um, you know, and there are a lot of things that are that, you know, that we're not shocked by, you know, for instance, just like LGBTQ stories or polyamory or kink. Um, you know, they're more normalized, but still, um, you know, we qualify anything that's not regular heteronormative vanilla sexuality into boxes that we might fetishize or diagnose or have to fight for. And where women are concerned, you know, in so many ways, the sexual revolution didn't really succeed. And I think you can just see this because women are still slut shamed in extraordinary ways. And true freedom where it comes to our sexuality is being hemmed in in a thousand which ways by our government at this very moment. Um, you know, so I'm obviously getting a little bit political here, but I read Fear of Flying in the past month and I was just like, wow, so much is the same. You know, too much is the same. And here we are coming on 50 years later. Yeah. And since you mentioned that, it is fascinating how much is the same. And, you know, we're still a somewhat prudish society when you think of it, you know, to write about desire is still a surprisingly risky act. And when a TV show or novel like Girls comes out, you know, it gets all sorts of reactions and commentary, which is why we need today's version of Fear of Flying, because we're still grappling with desire and what it means. I actually love going back in time to understand the role sex and desire played in people's lives by reading those novels from the past. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Grant. And uh, I think this is why writers are drawn to these narratives in the first place. And it all takes us back to the legend that is Erica Jong and the legacy of her work and the legacy of many other authors who have come since her. Um, and I felt touched, you know, as I considered Erica typing away at her computer in the early 1970s, needing to get this story out into the world, and just feeling the thread of that impulse through the decades, you know, from Virginia Woolf to Pearl S. Buck to Flannery O'Connor to Maya Angelou to Erica Jong and to countless others. And, you know, all of this is just a reminder that we stand on the shoulders of those who've come before us and those who've paved the way. So on that inspiring reminder, Erica Jong will be with us right after this break. Welcome back, everybody. I could not be more excited about today's guest, Erica Jong, a poet, novelist, and essayist whose works have been influential all over the world. Her first novel, Fear of Flying, Never Out of Print, has sold at least 27 million copies and always counting. Erica is a feminist legend and author of many books, and I counted 27 titles. So, Erica, you'll correct me there if I missed a few. I don't know if I remember how many. <laughs> Okay, well, we'll go with 27 and maybe more. Um, and Fear of Flying will celebrate its 50th anniversary in 2023. But for now, we're not quite there yet. It's still 2021. Uh, and we're just so grateful, Erica, to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you. I reached out to you because I'm going to be teaching Fear of Flying early next year as part of a memoir class. And of course, Fear of Flying is a novel, but it's been described as a 
quasi-novel, quasi-memoir in some places. And the world has changed so much since 1973, uh, both in terms of the rise of memoir, but also in the blurring of the lines between memoir and fiction. And so I wondered if you would indulge me right off the bat here with your thoughts about Fear of Flying being a quasi-memoir. And if it had been written today, do you think you would have written it as a memoir? Or would it have remained fiction? I don't know. I think a lot of first novels have elements of from the author's life. It's kind of inevitable. When you're writing your first book, you remember all the things that brought you to it and made you want to be a writer. So it often comes into the first book, fictionalized or not. And I've noticed that in many, many first novels by people that there are many autobiographical elements. Later, the writer might move away from their own life. But in the beginning, everybody is obsessed with trying to make sense of their own life. Well, Erica, as as Brooke mentioned, in introducing you, you've written many books, uh, nine novels, eight books of poetry, and, and a bunch of others. Uh, but you're best known for the book that launched you, of course. But I'm curious, has, has there been another book of all those you've written that you felt exceeded the effort or the literary merit of Fear of Flying? Um, yeah, I think Fear of Flying is very much a first novel. And I have grown. You know, I've written a period novel set in the 18th century that were much more challenging But the autobiographical elements of Fear of Flying still attract people because it's it's a book about becoming a writer. It's a book about a woman struggling to find herself. And so people identify. Right. And it also just hit such a a zeitgeist moment, I think, was another piece of it. And I I read um, an article about you that described Fear of Flying as being about understanding womanhood in the 1970s. And I really liked that take on it. That's probably true. You know, suddenly it was possible to write honestly about sexuality and women. And that was a great blessing in a way, because up until then, women had retreated from talking about the sexual part of their lives. And of course, without that, you don't have the whole story. So it was very helpful that suddenly there were all these books about sexuality being written and one could write about a woman's sexuality. I mean, people were still shocked, but it was possible in a way it wasn't before. And I'd like to follow up uh, because I'm wondering what your take is on the difference between what Isadora wanted for herself in the 1970s versus what women in this age range today, you know, late 20s and early 30s want now. Do you think that anything is substantially different in the culture around women's desire? You know, women want to have a personal life and also a professional life. And they want to blend the two. And that's not always easy. So a book that really puts it out there about choices 
is still very timely for women. Well, Erica, you know, Brooke and I always chat a bit on the show uh, before a guest comes on. And we were talking today about how so many male writers of this era in the early 70s were, you know, fearlessly indulging in sexual scenes on the page. And I'm thinking about authors like Norman Mailer and Philip Roth and Henry Miller. Right. And then your book came along and asserted that this could be a female space as well to write about sex and desire. Right. And so I'm curious, you, you mentioned that that this was a, a time where there was like kind of finally an opportunity for that space. But I was wondering if you could, could go a little further with that and just talk about your personal inspiration to tackle such issues at this time. Well, I thought that women had to write about their personal lives in a frank way. It hadn't really been possible always. Of course, the best writers did it. But then there were many writers who sort of avoided talking about sexuality for fear that their work would not be taken seriously. And now it's much more possible for women to write about personal things and everything. And I thought that was a great opportunity. Yeah, I I agree. And I think you paved the way for a lot of folks. And, and now the world of memoir writing is both different and the same. You know, I mean, the way in which it's the same is that it's still quite taboo to write about desire. And I work with a lot of memoirists today in, uh, in 2021 who are still grappling with these notions, you know, of what women are allowed to want. Exactly. I mean, I'm surprised by it in a way that there's still so much fear of revealing oneself, maybe because women get a very hard time when they open up about their sexuality. Mm -hmm. It can be very painful. Yeah. And having gone through it and come through it, and here we are all these decades later, what would you offer to a woman who wants to write about sexuality and desire? I mean, clearly it's it's been worth it, right? It's hard. You know, it really opens you up to a lot of criticism still. But if you leave that part of life out, there's so much you can't say about experience of women. So we have to be brave. We really do. I noticed when I started writing that men could write openly about sexuality and, and women generally didn't. And I thought we had to do what we feared the most. I've always believed that we have to push through fear in order to write things that will resonate with other people. It's really important. Definitely. That's interesting to me, Erica, because you're, you're also, you're a multi-genre author. I'm not sure if a lot of people know that, but you've written almost everything, you know, nonfiction, poetry, fiction, and even children's books. And so you're very prolific and write about a lot of different subjects. And I'm, I'm just curious how, I guess, what motivates you to write so prolifically? What, what are the ingredients that go into your, your special sauce? I always have a million ideas. I think if you're a writer, you have an infinite amount of stuff you can do. Of course, you're more interested in certain things than other things. But I wanted to write intimately about my life. I wanted to write historical novels, which I've done. 
I love the period of the 18th century. My favorite book is really Fanny Hackabout Jones, about a female picaresque heroine who does everything a woman can possibly do. And I just think it's great if you're a writer to explore many different things. Why not? You know, you might be better at certain things than others, but you have such an open territory. Why not explore everything? Absolutely. I, I love that sentiment. Um, and, and our last question for you, Erica, in noticing that a lot that's been written about you focuses on fearlessness. And, and of course, you've written two books with fear in the title, Fear of Flying and Fear of Dying. Right. Uh, but on the other hand, one of your principal themes is desire. And I was thinking about these as two sides of the same coin, fear and desire. Um, and I'm curious if when you set out to write Fear of Flying, were you conscious of how these themes would define you and your work? No, I I mean, I was writing the book I needed to write at the time. I didn't think of it thematically. Later, looking back at various books, you can I can say, oh, I was always obsessed with that theme or the other, you discover by writing what you really are obsessed with, which is very interesting because when you read over your own work, you discover things about yourself you didn't know. It's fascinating to see how you turn to certain themes that you didn't even know you were interested in. Well, and all these years later, did these two themes still rise to the top in terms of your interest in them? Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to be able to write about sexuality because it was taboo. And I thought women needed to read about it. You know, everybody has desire. Everybody fulfills it in different ways. And it's such a big part of life. You have to be honest about it. And one of the things is my readers said to me when I began to publish, oh, my God, I feel just the way you do. And I realized that people needed to see their own thoughts on paper. It gave them a feeling of not being alone. Thank you, Erica. I'm really, we are so grateful to have you on the show and just more than that, grateful for all, all the work you've done in the world. Thanks for leading the way. Thank you so much, Erica. Thank you. We will be right back with today's book trend. So Grant, the book trend this week is memoirs becoming movies and TV series. And it uh, occurred to me because of the hype around the tender bar that is set to be released uh, this month by Amazon Studios streaming on Prime in the new year. Uh, and notably, also, Stephanie Land's Maid was just made into a Netflix series, uh, also based on the memoir by the same title about a single mother named Alex who turns to housekeeping to make ends meet as 
because she escapes an abusive relationship uh, and overcomes homelessness to create a better life for her daughter. Uh, So this trend is a celebration of memoir, really, because memoirs make for awesome films and shows. And so I thought it would be fun to give a shout out to both J.R. Moringer and Stephanie Land. And I think I'm one degree separated from both of them. And so I love both their books. (laughs) Yeah, this is a great era for memoir uh, with with streaming uh, becoming so, you know, prolific and present. So yeah, let's celebrate the trend. And I'm, I'm remembering when we had Piper Kerman on the show, and she's the author of The Orange Orange is the New Black, if you don't know. And uh, we asked her if more people had watched the show and had read her book. And her answer was something along the lines of by, you know, magnitude of millions. And so it's also great because for these authors, their story gets out anew and to a much bigger audience. And I, I know you taught the tender bar, Brooke, uh, in one of your memoir classes. Yeah, we teach a series called What Made, you know, whatever memoir it is, a best-selling memoir. And the Tender Bar was one of the earlier classes. And people can take a look at that actually on our URL, writeyourmemoirinsixmonths.com. But I loved the Tender Bar. It, it's a very special coming-of-age story. And so I very much look forward to watching it. But a movie doesn't guarantee a great reception. You know, I'm recalling The Glass Castle, which is an equally famous memoir. And the movie pretty much fell flat you know I read that Roger Ebert said it never quite clicks and it didn't do justice to the harrowing story and then it just fell off people's radars pretty fast after that so it's not a guarantee that the movie is going to do justice to the book yeah and then you know by contrast to that you know Cheryl Strayed's Wild was a big movie hit and the Netflix series Unorthodox, which I really have to recommend, uh, I really loved it. It's based on the memoir by Deborah Feldman. And one thing that I think is interesting about it is just uh, the format for Netflix. I think it was it was a limited series, and I think it was three or four hour long segments. So I just found it a, an interesting sort of pace and format that was different than a typical movie. Since we've made lists in the past, I'm a big fan of lists. Uh, how about if we make a list of movies or series made for memoirs? Um, I'm actually curious just to kind of ponder if or how they're different than movies made from biographies. I'm kind of imagining they might be more intimate uh, told from the perspective of a memoir. So what do you think of that? Yeah, I love that idea. And I think we just figured out what our holiday episode is going to be. So uh, let's do it. Cool, cool. Well, we will be back every week with more writing talk and book talk and actually live writers telling us their stories. So thanks so much for believing in your story, for supporting others' story, and for listening to Right Minded. See you next week. 